Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Sure. Uh, so that's Nehemiah chapter 12, uh, verses 27 to the end of the chapter. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lyres. The musicians also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem from the villages of the Natothophites, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmaveth, for the musicians had built villages for themselves all around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah go up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, towards the Dung Gate. Hoshiah and half the leaders of Judah followed them, along with Azariah, Ezra, Meshullam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, Jeremiah, as well as some priests with trumpets, and also Zechariah, son of Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, the son of Mataniah, the son of Micaiah, the son of Zachar, the son of Asaph, and his associates, Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai, Maai, Nethanel, Judah and Hanani, with musical instruments prescribed by David, the man of God. Ezra, the teacher of the law, led this procession. At the fountain gate, they continued directly up the steps of the city of David on the ascent to the wall and passed above the site of David's palace to the water gate on the east. The second choir proceeded in the opposite direction. I followed them on top of the wall, together with half the people, past the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, the Jeshunar gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate. And at the gate of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So did I, together with half the officials, as well as the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elioni, Zechariah and Hananiah with their trumpets, and also Maaseah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehohanan, Malkijah, Elimineza. The choirs sang under the direction of Jezrehiah. And on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the town, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did also the musicians and gatekeepers, according to the commands of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there had been directors for the musicians and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So in the days of Zerubbabel and of Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. 
they also set aside the portions for the other Levites. And the Levites set aside the portion for the descendants of Aaron. Great, thanks, Pete. I'm just going to pray for Andy before I hand over to him this morning. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your word is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. We just pray for Andy this morning that he would communicate to us well and clearly. Lord God, we pray for our hearts as we come to listen this morning that it would be changed and challenged by you. Amen. Thanks, uh, Rich, and thanks uh, to Pete for, for reading that. Um, yeah, so it's great that I could join with you here again this morning. Uh, great you, could, you could log in with us uh, here uh, today. I just want to start by sharing about something that happened to me uh, six and a half years ago. Six and a half years ago, uh, we started the Withington site of, of CCM. Uh, it's now called Lady Barn, but it was, it was called Withington back then. And on the third Sunday we'd been meeting in the, in the middle of the service, I'll never forget this, when the band was playing, um, two guys walked in off the street who we'd never seen before, and they stood at the back and they just started dancing and singing along to the music, right? And they were really going for it, you know, like they were like, blessed be your name, like really dancing, arms up, singing away. It was, yeah, it was really a sight to behold, to be honest. And I can still remember Jamie, uh, seeing Jamie, who was leading worship that day, as he, as he has been today, in between one of the songs, just mouthing to me and pointing. And, and me going, no idea. I do not know. And then um, there was like, there were like about 20 of us, I think, in the service that Sunday. So to be honest, I was just glad of two extra people. Um, but it turned out that these two guys, these two guys uh, just happened to be uh, coming back from a night out. Um, and they just heard the music um, and, uh, and wandered in. Um, they were probably still a little bit drunk from the night out, to be honest. Uh, they just wandered in and kind of just decided to join us in our worship time. And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about worship today. And, and in particular, I want to talk about what biblical worship looks like. I want to talk about what biblical worship looks like worship according to the bible now a great place in the bible to look at to see real biblical worship in action is nehemiah chapter 12 which we're going to look at uh, today now this is the, the final sermon in our nehemiah sermon series which we started two months ago and we've seen over these last two months how nehemiah comes from persia to jerusalem and uh, despite opposition manages to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And, and then when the walls are completed, a guy called Ezra reads the law to the people, which we see in chapter 8, which leads them to confessing their sins and committing to live according to God's law. Sounds great. And then in chapter 11, um, then all the lists, you get all these lists of different people groups who move from the countryside to live inside the completed walls of Jerusalem. And that's a running theme you see in, in Nehemiah. Lots of lists of people's names. Pete knows that today because he's read a lot of them in our passage today. And then in chapter 12, verses 27 to 47, the, the passage we just had read today, we see the dedication of the walls, the completed walls of Jerusalem. And basically what happens in this passage is they have a big celebration to worship God and thank him that the walls were completed, that he's helped them to do that. 
And part of this celebration actually involved two big choirs walking around the top of the wall singing and playing music as they went, which, which must have been a pretty amazing sight. I'd like to have been there to see that, walking around, all the exuberance and noise and sound, and ah, it would be great. And, you know, so as, as Bible passages go, this, this is a pretty fun passage. You know, lots of singing and rejoicing and musical instruments being played. But, but I think this passage also teaches us something important about what biblical worship looks like. What biblical worship looks like. And, and the first thing I think this passage shows us about biblical worship is that it's exuberant. Biblical worship is exuberant. It's full of energy and life and joy, you know? I, uh, I saw a, a little clip uh, recently from a gig by, a, by the comedian Eddie Izzard. You may have heard of Eddie Izzard. He's, a, I don't think he's not a Christian. I think he's an atheist, actually. But he's a pretty popular comedian. And in this, in this clip in one of his gigs, he pretty much uh, says that uh, people in the Church of England have this amazing ability to sing songs with happy lyrics in the most dreary way. And he does this whole sketch and then he sings a few of the songs as examples to just show you what he means. And it's really funny. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna imitate him, but it's really funny. Yet at the same time, like quite uncomfortably accurate. Um, you know, how like they can sing hallelujah in the most boring voice possible, you know, stuff like that. But basically what he's saying is that corporate worship times at the churches he's been to in his life have been dreary, lifeless, and colossally boring. Now, for him, he's talking mostly about the Church of England. That's kind of, I think, his upbringing. Now, I know not all churches are like that, and certainly the worship time in the passage we're looking at today is absolutely nothing like that. Complete opposite. In verse 27, if you have your Bibles there, if you look at verse 27, it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. So the celebration, and it's joyful. The dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps, and lyres. Their worship here was joyful. It was exciting. And it was, it was loud, too. I mean, look at the instruments they used. They used harps and lyres, which were two of the strongest string instruments there were back then. And they also used cymbals. Now, if you don't know, I don't know much about cymbals, but I know they're pretty hard to play quietly. You know, it's all about crashing them and whacking them as hard as you can to make a big noise. And verse 43 says, it was so loud that the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. And then as if all the instrument playing and people rejoicing wasn't enough, they got two large choirs to walk around on top of the walls singing praise songs. Now, I love that, right? What I love about this is I just love how somewhere at some time they had a meeting and someone suggested, shall we have a choir? And someone else said, no, let's have two. And everyone was like, yes, let's do it. And they just, I love that. I would have loved to be in that meeting to just amen that. Yeah. So they just go for it. Let's not have one choir. Let's have two. Now, question I want to ask right now is, now maybe it's kind of obvious, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why were they worshipping? Why were they worshipping? Well, they were worshipping because God had brought them back from captivity and, and had helped them rebuild the walls despite all the challenges they'd faced. He, he proved himself faithful yet again. Now, the Bible is full of commands that we too should worship God. But why? 
Like, why should we worship God? Again, I know it's kind of an obvious question, but sometimes these are the best ones to focus on. Well, we worship because like the Israelites, we too have been brought out of captivity. Though ours was not to another nation like Israel was, but to sin, which separated us from God and left us completely, completely helpless. God took the Israelites out of captivity and brought them home. And he's brought us home too, to a spiritual home in him. He's brought us to a spiritual family, his family. And, and you know, I was, I was thinking about this this morning. You know, we, we have so much more to be thankful to God for than the Israelites in Nehemiah's day did. I mean, they had to make animal sacrifices, but we don't because we've been forgiven once and for all because of Jesus. You know, they, they didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, bringing change and growth in their lives like we do. You know, we have so much more to be thankful to God for than they did. So here's my question. Why does our worship often not look as exuberant and joyful as theirs did? Now, I know COVID restrictions don't help in all this, okay? They're pretty much banning us from singing, all right? But that aside, okay, just set COVID aside and think like what things were like before COVID and what they'll be like in like a year's time or whatever. Okay, just think about that, okay? Now, I think, I think there may be a number of reasons why we don't worship as exuberantly as they did. I think certainly for me, uh, a reason why I don't worship as exuberantly and as joyfully as I could is because I often take what God has done for me for granted. You know, I'm a bit like, yep, Jesus died on the cross, great. Yep, he's done this, he's done that. I take it for granted. And, and another thing is, uh, I mean, if you think about that this week, and another thing that, that stops me from worshiping exuberantly is fearing others' opinion of me too much, you know, and not fearing God enough. You know, I fear others too much and God not enough. You know, uh, if I worship the way I want to, what will people think of me? And you know, if I jump up and down the road, will people think I'm weird? You know, it's that whole kind of thing. And I remember, um, I remember being at a, a church conference a few years ago. And during one of the worship times, Dave Devonish, who you may have known, he, he's preached here a number of times. Dave Devonish, who was leading the event, um, in the worship time, he just lay on the floor, face down, arms outstretched at the front. And he stayed like that for like 20 minutes. And Elizabeth and I were, were like, wow, we thought it was amazing. We're like, he just doesn't care what people think. He's just worshiping God and he's going to do it the way he feels he wants to do it. He just doesn't care what people think of him. And, you know, I'll be honest, we were so encouraged by that to be free in how we worship God. We're thinking if the guy at the front can lie face down for 20 minutes, then I mean, we can do pretty much anything and no one's going to think that's weird at all. You know, we can kneel, we can do whatever. You know, it was, it was a real freeing moment. It was really good. So I just want to encourage us when we come together to worship, and I know it's going to be difficult for a while with COVID restrictions and all that. Um, but when we can't be worshipped freely again in that sense, let's be exuberant. You know, let's express our love for Jesus for all to see, however you want to do that, however you want to do that. You know, every time I, I used to have uh, leadership team meetings at uh, CCM Lady Barn, I'd always finish the meeting, and Jamie knows this, I'd always finish the meeting by saying, what's the two things I want you to do on Sundays? And everyone would be like, Talk to new people and express yourself in worship. And they'd say it like that because basically I told them every single time. Talk to new people, express yourself in worship. Talk to new people, express yourself in worship. That's what I want you to do. Just keep doing that on Sundays. Talk to new people, express yourself in worship. I said it so many times, people would just get so bored when I said it. But that's what I wanted people to do. And I remember one time at one of, one of our kind of leadership meetings, one guy said to me, when I said this, he said, well, what if you're not very extroverted? 
surely it's okay to worship without being expressive. And normally in those meetings, I don't push back immediately. I'm nice, like, oh, yeah, lovely. And then I'll have a conversation at the end. But I didn't. I pushed back straight away. I just said, look, when you're in a football match and your team scores, is it just the extroverted people jump up in the air and cheer? And he was like, okay, fine. I get it. All right. <laughs> and that was it. But it's true. You know, it's, we worship because we care so much. And it, it affects our actions. You know, it bursts out of us. That's what it's like. But... Let's be honest, okay, and especially when we've been talking about Zoom, let's be honest, sometimes when we come to church, we maybe don't feel like worshipping God. That is true, you know, you could be tired, you know, maybe the kids kept you up all night, maybe you're worried about what work will be like the next day, or you've just had an argument with your spouse, I don't know what it is, but sometimes we just don't feel like worshipping. But I think it's so important for us in those times to not let our feelings lead our body. You know, we've got to let our body lead our feelings. We've got to push our body into the act of worship, you know, forcing ourselves to sing that song, you know, put our hands up in the air or whatever it is you do. And it's when we, when we do that, our feelings start to follow. You push the body to do something, the feelings will come after that. I think that's a really important thing to do. We don't always feel like it. We've got to push yourself to do it. And that's when the change comes. And I think just, just as I finish this point, I think it's important to say also that how we worship on a Sunday in church as we gather affects everyone else way more than you think, actually. You know, I remember a while back sitting in church behind someone during the worship time who was just on their phone scrolling through their news app. And I'll be honest with you, I was so encouraged, so discouraged. I was going to say encouraged. No, complete opposite. I was so discouraged. And I'll be honest. It's really hard to worship when the person in front of you is scrolling through their BBC News app. You know, it is, it's very hard. And, and, you know, I was thinking, you know, I didn't say anything, but if I challenged that person, they may have said, I'm on my phone because the worship time is a bit boring. Maybe he was right. Maybe it was. But the question in that situation is, are you part of the solution or are you contributing to the problem? That's the big question you've got to ask yourself. Now, contrast that with a, a guy that Jamie and I both know well, um, a guy called Tom Belshaw, used to go to CCM Withington, now lives in Japan. Um, and when he used to come along to church, he worshipped with everything he had. You know, he was all in, hands in there singing. You could just see it on his face and everything. So after church one day, I said to him, Tom, mate, um, I want you to sit at the front every Sunday. And he's like, oh, why do you want me to do that? I said, I want people to see you worship because it will encourage them to worship. So he did, and it did. It did encourage lots of people in their worship of God. You know, what God has done for us is utterly amazing. You know, he deserves our full attention, our whole heart. So let's be exuberant. Let's be joyful. Let's, there's let to be life in us as we worship him in our meetings uh, together. So biblical worship is exuberant. But the second thing we see about biblical worship from this passage is that it's sacrificial. It's sacrificial. And we, and we see this in verse 44 of our passage, which, which says that at that time, men were appointed to collect the first fruits and tithes from the people. Now, what are the first fruits and tithes? Well, the first fruits are quite simply the first fruits from everybody's harvest. And tithe is, is a tenth of their produce. And the people gave this, their first fruits and their tithes, to God as an offering. That was part of their worship so their worship wasn't just about singing songs but it was about sacrificially giving a portion of their wealth 
to God. And this wasn't just a one-off thing they did at major festivals. No, no. This was something that was part of their everyday life. Verse 47 says, In the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the musicians and the gatekeepers. So sacrificial giving of our wealth is an important aspect of our worship. It's an important aspect of our worship. You know, I, I, heard, I heard this recently. And a number of years ago, uh, a historian was, uh, was set the task of writing the biography of the Duke of Wellington, that, who's famous for defeating Napoleon at the Battle of Waterloo, that famous English Duke. And he spent a lot of time doing research um, and felt he was getting a good understanding of who the Duke of Wellington was. And then he came across a book of the Duke of Wellington's checkbook stubs. Basically, this book just recorded everything that the Duke of Wellington spent his money on. And this historian said, when I saw how he spent his money, I really knew the man. That was the most significant book I read, he said. And I just wonder, as we're talking about giving being an act of worship, I just wonder, what does your expenditure reveal about you? And that's a challenge for me too. What does your expenditure reveal about you? So biblical worship is not just about singing praises to God on a Sunday. It's, it's not even just about offering our money to God even. No, biblical worship is about offering our everything to God. Romans 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. You see, everything we have and everything we are belongs to God. If we're meeting together, I'd say, give me an amen, but it's going to be complicated right now. But it does. Everything we have and are belongs to God. What we say and do, how we spend our money, how we conduct our relationships, how we use our time, how we treat sex, our attitude to our family, friends, the poor, all of this is worship. All of this is worship. Now, you know, chapter 12 would be a lovely place to end the book of Nehemiah. The wall is rebuilt. The people are celebrating. Everybody's happy. The end. I mean, that would be a perfect end to the book of Nehemiah. If Hollywood ever made a film about the book of Nehemiah, chapter 12 is where it would end. And the credits would roll and everybody would be happy. But sadly, this isn't where the book ends. There's a final chapter, chapter 13. And what basically happens in this chapter is Nehemiah has to go back to the king of Persia for a bit. And when he returns to Jerusalem, the people are no longer obeying God's laws like they promised they would. And, and chapter 13 is basically Nehemiah going around telling everyone off for disobeying God. That's pretty much chapter what 13 is all about. It's a, it's a sad end to the book, but I believe it's important that we don't just gloss over it. Because this chapter reminds us that we're often just like the Israelites. You know, we often have a point in our lives when we get all fired up for God and we're serving him wholeheartedly. But then over time, you know, we, we lose sight of who he is and, and what he's done. And we get influenced by the world around us. And, and we very slowly start to drift away from him, focusing on ourselves more than on him. And, and maybe you're in that place right now. I've been there. Maybe you're in that place right now. And, and if you are in that place right now, I, I just want you to know that just like Nehemiah went after the Israelites in chapter 13, God comes after us, you know, like a shepherd searching for a lost sheep. 
he wants us back, back in relationship with him, back worshiping him. And I don't know, maybe today is the day when he draws you back to him and he brings you home. He draws you back to him and brings you home. Maybe today is the day when that happens. You know, God's grace is bigger than our failures. It's bigger than the mistakes we've made. And that grace comes from Jesus' death on the cross. Another story like Nehemiah, which seemed like it was going to have a sad ending, but Jesus turned that sad ending into an amazing triumph by rising from the dead so that we can too one day if we put our trust in him. And that's why we worship him exuberantly when we meet together and sacrificially all the time, offering our whole selves to him because he deserves it. He deserves all our worship and our praise. I'm just going to pray now before I hand back to Jamie. Lord, help us not to take for granted what you've done for us, Lord. Lord, I I pray that even this morning you uh, just remind our hearts of how much you love us, how much you care for us, how much you were willing to go through for us, to save us, to draw us into your family. Uh, And and Lord, I, I, I pray that like, our worship wouldn't be like contrived. We wouldn't you know, feel like I have to do this or this or this. But Lord, I, I pray that our worship, not just even on our Sundays, but just when we're driving in the car or whatever we're doing, would be just an overflow of, of thankfulness for what you've done and, and for who you are. I pray that it would be real. It would be natural. It would be, yeah, joy-filled, Lord. Um, yeah. And Lord, yeah, we just want to declare that you deserve our worship. You deserve all our worship and our praise, because you're amazing, Lord. Amen.